It's so nice to practice with all of you. Um, so I haven't met, I know a bunch of you, and I haven't met a lot of you. Um, I am, uh, just to say a little bit about me and why I'm in this role, I'm, uh, I'm a spirit rock teacher, and I've been teaching here for like off and on for about the last 20 years, and myself been practicing over 30 years. I started practicing in uh, right after college and got involved in mindfulness practice in Asia and have been that's been my life and now I run the center at UCLA where we teach mindfulness the mindful awareness research center um, and then I've been a parent on the family retreat for a number of years and then because Kate is going to step down as she explained I'm going to be stepping in so they're wanting me to kind of I'm doing like half the retreat but sometimes coming up here so this is, I'll just spend a little time and you can get to know me, kind of, and I get to know you more. Uh, but what I wanted to do was talk about self-care for parents, and we'll do an exercise. So I'll give a little Dharma talk, and then we'll go from there. Um, you may have heard this quote before. There's a pervasive form of contemporary violence to which the parent most easily succumbs, overwork, to allow oneself to be carried away by the multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many people, to want to help everyone and everything, is to succumb to violence. The frenzy kills the root of inner wisdom, which makes life fruitful. You know that quote? Do you know that I changed it? It's okay. The quote is from uh, Thomas Merton, the Trappist monk, Catholic mystic, but I changed it to, it didn't say the parent. It's not what stresses out the parent, it's actually more general. He's kind of talking about activists, actually, but I I felt like it really applies here. So I just want to say that it's been a time, I mean, these last number of years, as we know, have been so challenging, and Self-care is something that is just, for many of us, we've lost that capacity for self-care, especially as we're parenting, particularly harder if you're parenting younger kids. Um, and then it start, well, I've noticed it starts to get easier as they get older, you get more space. Um, and it's a structural issue. It's not just, it's not personal, right? We always feel like, sorry, just getting rid of the popping. Um, we always feel like, you know, oh, it's our problem. I don't have time to take care of myself. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly busy. I'm trying to juggle so many things. But if you think about it, the, I mean, some statistics are that the, the U.S., it's the only developed country in the world where paid time off is not required. We have no subsidized child care, right? We have the lowest number of vacation days in the developed world, um, like 12 which people don't usually take, right, compared to um, five to six weeks in Europe, for instance. And um, I once read that medieval peasants work, they used to work less than we do, right? So it is, um, it's a struggle in this quality of like burnout, overwhelm, overwork, parenting, and we're feeling busy, exhausted, guilty, resentful, sick. Our children, we love our children like crazy. They drive us crazy, 
I can say that, right? Like that's cool. Okay. And and then and and then we get lost. And then add the COVID pandemic on top, and we have the economic, racial, social disparities that got magnified. We um, many of us were trying to help our children online, and you know. I don't know, was it actually homeschooling? But whatever we were doing with the kids simultaneously while, you know, going to work meetings. And I don't know about you, but it was pretty insane. We're kind of bonkers, right, for those years. And a lot of women had to leave the workforce. I mean, it's really, really like devastating what's happened in, the, in these ways. We haven't had a break. Where is self-care? So it's fantastic that you're here. I know things have started, at least in my life, they start to feel a little bit lighter in the last number of months. Like there's a little bit more space for me. But coming here is such a radical act. Like to come and take my kid and go to this place that's really for me. It's for us. It's for the family. I know it's not like a regular retreat for those of you who do those retreats regular, right? It's it's not silent. You're not going to... Um, have that kind of experience, but you're having something else, and this is its own retreat. And something I would say I noticed when I've done the family retreat for a number of years is like I kept expecting it to kind of be like a meditation retreat, and then of course it wasn't, and then I would feel a little resentful, like why am I not getting enough meditation time? And then I realized that no, no, this is the practice, the practice of staying present and connected with myself through all the interactions, through the relating, through the talking, through the, you know, I would take the kids and go blackberry picking. You know, there's great blackberries down the hill, right? Yeah, so it's a fun thing to do, especially the little ones. Um, that, that it became a place of care and compassion for myself, even if I wasn't getting that, like, sweet, silent time, interiority time. So I just encourage you to remember that that like, okay, what's happening here? This is the practice. How do we stay present? How do we stay in our bodies? How do, when we get irritated because our kid is doing something or where'd they go? They ran away. You know, how do we stay connected to ourselves? So for those of us who struggle with a kind of, um, you know, overwhelm, exhaustion, parenting, work life, lack of balance, burnout. There's often a lot of internal stuff going on. So there's external forces like economic forces where we have no choice and we just have to work at the, the amount that we're working and we don't have time to ourselves. And um, this is the situation for, of course, so many families. And then there's an inner, an inner part of ourselves like... Um, this thing, like, I have to do it perfectly, and being helpful is who I am, and nobody can do it as good as I can do it. I'm the one that has to respond to every need of my child, and maybe there's, like, gender role breakdowns in the family. I mean, there's all these, there's all these ways that this manifests itself, and it's very interesting to look at, like, what are the voices in my head that prevent me from taking care of myself? as a parent, as a human being in this life. Sometimes, you know, there's that voice, like, I have to, there's, 
have to do it perfectly. You know, it's, it's sort of like a little driven by self-criticism, self-judgment, self-hatred. I can never do it right. I'm, I can never do enough. I'm not enough, right? Despite Afosu's wonderful jacket, right? It's like the opposite. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. Unless I take care of everything, unless I'm constantly making everything run and I'm juggling work and home or just home or just work or, you know, there's all these ways it can show up. So it's just interesting to notice what is driving it and to really examine that. And maybe it is a kind of perfectionism. If you can start the day without caffeine, if you can always be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, some of you know this, if you can resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, if you can eat the same food every day and be grateful for it, if you can understand when loved ones are too busy to give you time, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, conquer tension without medical help, relax without liquor, sleep without the aid of drugs, you're probably a dog. Right? All right, so we have to learn the art of self-care. And I will acknowledge there are probably some of you who are pretty good at it and some of you who are less good at it. I was pretty terrible at it. When my daughter was born, it was like years before I did anything for myself. <laughs> I don't know, I just felt, I felt guilty. Like, oh, I can't, I was working full-time and, you know, like running home to, I mean, it was, I mean, I had no time for anything, least of all myself. So I had time for my daughter, I had time for my job, a little time for my partner at the time, um, but zero time for this, (laughs) for me. And I remember, I remember like just when she was so little and just crying on the phone to my friends and saying, I can't do this. Like, like I don't have any, I'm gone. Like, I'm gone. I can't, and I couldn't even imagine self-care, taking time for myself. And that has changed drastically. And now my daughter is 12. It's very, very different. But I had to take little baby steps to get to the place where I was, um, where I became important, you know? It was like, I, I don't know whether it's sort of like a cult, you know, cultural messaging about like you have to put everybody in front of you. But it was definitely, there was something that was really off and unbalanced in me. So as I began to, I began to do little things to take care of myself, right? I remember like, there was this like, like these luxurious moments when you could be in the bathroom without the kid and the dog trying to come in. And I was like, that's a win, right? Um, and, you know, reading, I, I found ways to maybe I'll take a bath or read a novel or take 10 minutes to go for a walk by myself, like finding ways to slowly invite in some self-care. And as she got older and I started feeling the need to have to do it so perfectly, um, I started noticing, I started, you know, handing things off. And I, I mean, I remember one of the best things that my my daughter, my mother ever did was she cooked for her for us when we were little, 
And then my brother went to, I guess when my brother was younger, went to college. She's like, I'm never cooking again. I'm done. That's it. She never cooked again. And so she's excellent at takeout, like amazing at assembling things and getting takeout. But she just, she just, she'd had it. And I just like respect so much that self-care. And I told that to my dear friend who has been cooking nonstop for her kids for 20 years. And she's like, what? I could just stop cooking? And she did. <laughs> so here's the thing. You can stop cooking. I mean, we're, our kids are not at the age where it's like a, a great idea, but I'm just kind of giving you ideas. Like, what is self-care? Like, when do you say, I'm done doing the laundry? Your turn to do the laundry to the children, right? Or the partner or... Um, you know, when do we, one of the things I really had to learn as a recovering perfectionist was to do my B job sometimes, especially at work. You know, my A job, I was always trying to do it the best. And then the B job's okay. The B job, even parenting B job is okay. It's totally okay to be a screw up as a parent. We are, right? It's the, (laughs) you're not a screw up, you're great. (laughs) but it's okay to screw up. It's okay to not be perfect with parenting and, um, and to start to pay attention to this self, this me. I know Buddhism, no self, no self, right? But there has to be a care for the self in combination with these, you know, the ideas of what it means, selflessness, that maybe we'll get to some on this retreat. One of my favorite things to do, and even to more recently, are the what kind of games can you play with the kids where you get a lot of rest or a little tiny moment of rest? So one of them, of course, is hide and seek. So <laughs> I, I really perfected the art of finding a nice, like, squishy blanket in a closet somewhere to hide while she couldn't find me for, like, four minutes, you know, but that was four minutes of peace. And then... Um, my other favorite one is the game, what's on your butt? Basically, you lie down, and you get to lie down, and you put something, um, you, put, you have them put something on your butt, and then they make you guess it. And then you switch, and then they lie down. But anyway, you get to lie down. It's a great practice. What's on my butt? Um, and then there was the piece of, for me, what helped transition, and obviously as our children gain more independence and developmentally, there starts to feel like there is time for us. And, you know, finally started to go on retreats. And um, I remember when I did my first retreat after, you know, maybe it was eight or nine years before I went on a personal retreat and coming to Spirit Rock and just crying to be back here. I don't know if any of you have had that experience. Maybe if it's your first time back and you're just, it's just like the tears come because it's so incredible to be here after having been away for these last years. So that's part of our self-care while you're here. And I really encourage you if this, and I know for so many of you, this is a really special place to go on the land and like, let, if you have a partner, if, that, if this works, say you take the kids, we'll switch off, but just get yourself some time and space alone on the land as part of your self-care to be in gratitude and joy and connection to yourself 
and get another family to watch your kids if you don't have a partner here. You know, do something so that you you get to drink in the joy of this place, drink in the healing power of Spirit Rock Land. So there's also working with the voices. This was very important for me, the voices that said I'm not okay with with doing self-care. Like that's not, you know, making them conscious, noticing when something would say, I feel guilty if I take time out for myself. Or um, there's, you know, self-care, there's something wrong with me. If I want self-care, it means I'm not kind enough to my child or whatever weird stories were going on in my head. Noticing them. And this is, of course, the power of mindfulness. Right? You have this incredible gift to notice when these thoughts arise and go, oh, all right, there's, that's an interesting thought. We don't have to believe it. So, so many of you know this analogy, but I'll just say it. It may be helpful for some of you who haven't heard it. Our thoughts are often like trains, right? And we get on these trains and they just go. And so, we get here, oh, what if my kid doesn't make any friends? And what if they hate the family retreat? And then we'll never go back, and it's going to be terrible, and it's so important to me. And right, It's like you got on a train because you didn't catch the first thought, which was, what if they don't have make friends? You know, That becomes suddenly we're never coming back ever again. It's terrible. So what we can do is notice when we've gotten on the train and get off the train. Okay. Whether it's a worried thought, a fearful thought, a thought of, you know, you're angry, or what, any kind of thought that is not helpful, we've gotten on the train, we can get off the train. We can also stay at the platform and not get on the train at all. And this is an interesting possibility, right? To just be like, oh, there's a thought coming and going. And oftentimes we see it in our meditation where the thought comes and goes. When I notice thoughts, especially self-judging thoughts, judging things I don't deserve, I'm not good enough, there's a lot of wanting to bring kindness, softening, putting my hand on my chest and just taking a breath. And it's okay, you'll get through this. Like when Ofosu was having the kids say those great things about their friends, that was so fun, right? That game today. We say that to ourselves. You know the secret teaching of the family retreat is whatever is being taught to the children, you need to hear. Just so you don't think that, okay, it's for them, it's for them. No, it's for you. Whenever anybody comes to our center at UCLA and says, my child needs mindfulness, you know, I'm always thinking, no, you do. <laughs> so we all need it. We all need it. And we can listen in that way. One of my favorite practices that I do that has helped me so much is the practice of when I worry about my daughter, I have a practice that counteracts it. So how many times, first of all, I just want to ask a question. How many times have you worried about something that turned out to be totally fine with them? Like a million times, (laughs) a thousand billion, right? Like, oh, they're never going to, they're never going to walk. They're never going to be potty trained. They're never going to read. They're ne- and like, it, like it all happens. And obviously there are variations and so forth. So I do a practice uh, when I get in that place of just 
imagining my daughter as um, like in the future, totally okay, having manifested whatever the skill set was, or just or just imagine. So I'm just going to ask us to pause for a moment and and just take a breath and go inside just for a moment and. If maybe there's something you're worried about with your kid development, there's always something to worry about. Something you're worried about, not certain about, annoyed by, whatever, just finding that thing. Notice how that feels. And now, just imagine them sometime in the future where they've worked through it or they're, maybe they're older and they're doing great. I just have a sense of them like thriving. Maybe they're 20s or a few years from now, but just have a sense. Notice how that feels inside. Okay, so this practice is something that I just recommend. I often use it to, it's just like I have a particular image of her that I carry where she's a little bit older and, and she's just thriving and I feel it. And when I go into those places of fear and what, what, I, I just on the spot bring up that image. Sometimes I meditate with it. But it's a really helpful practice for me. So we can shift our relationship to these stories. We can shift our relationship to the part of us that feels like we can't do self-care. Here's a story I want to read you. A man observed a woman in the grocery store with a three-year-old girl in her basket. As they passed the cookie section, the little girl asked for cookies, and her mother told her no. The little girl immediately began to whine and fuss, and the mother said quietly, Now, Monica, we have just half the aisles left to go through. Don't be upset. It won't be long now. Soon they came to the candy aisle. The little girl shouts for candy. When she was told she couldn't have any, she began to cry. And the mother said, There, there, Monica, don't cry. Only two more aisles to go, and we'll be checking out. When they got to the checkout stand, the little girl immediately began to clamor for gum and then burst into a tantrum when she found out she couldn't have gum. The mother said serenely, Monica, we'll get through this checkout stand in five minutes, and then you can go home and have a nice nap. So the man followed them out to the parking lot and stopped the woman to compliment her. I couldn't help noticing how patient you were with little Monica, he began. The mother replied, I'm Monica. My little girl's name is Tammy. <laughs> and so we can shift, or we can, we can find tricks for ourselves. We can find ways to change those voices and be more loving, be more compassionate. So I was sort of suggesting different ways that we can develop self-care. So one is... Um, the first thing I was suggesting was just like sort of basic, typical things that we think of as self-care, like take a bath, 
um, you know, those kinds of things. And then I was saying, talking about different ways, different choices we can make, like you do the laundry, not me. Um, working with voices in our heads, how do we deal with that? How do we get off the train? And then there's this other piece that really is the theme of this retreat. And that is the theme of, um, of joy, of counteracting the challenges of this world and the suffering that we encounter with, a re- with resourcing. Some of you know the word resourcing from like somatic training and so forth, but it's, it's finding a place of goodness and pleasure within us and brightening our mind and having joy to counteract, like to... Like there's so much sorrow right now. You know, it's, there's, the world is so heavy. And I know, like all of you, having children in this moment in history is really heavy. Right? We don't know what's, what's coming our way. And we don't know what's coming their way. And it's really scary. And I think about it all the time. And I know that for me, cultivating joy wherever I can find it is this humongous antidote to dealing with the suffering that this world brings. So where do we find these moments while you're here on the retreat? The moments of joy and pleasure with the turkeys and the peahens and the deer. Oh my God, my daughter and I were driving driving in the the golf cart, because we're staying way far away. So we were driving the golf cart down, and it was late at night, so we had the headlights turned on. And as we were driving along, this deer comes out, and Mira goes, deer in the headlights. <laughs> it was just like... And then she started acting it out, deer in the headlights. Um, finding those places of joy and connection, connection with other parents, connection with the child. To it, It's like we've got to build up our joy resources to counteract the, the dukkha. You know that word, dukkha, suffering. So just, a, just another story um, about how I kind of work with it. And, and you know the practice of savoring. Like when you're in the midst of something that feels great, to not jump past it. When you feel a moment of gratitude, don't go, okay, yeah, that was great. Oh, look, I'm having fun. But actually to savor. We can use our mindfulness to to more deeply experience something. And that builds the resources. Like we're just trying to get like a bigger and bigger boat. You know that, um, that famous story, it, you know the movie Jaws? Remember, the, um, remember the, in that scene where they don't know what's out in the ocean, they know it's something pretty bad, but they don't know what it is. And then they um, go out in that little dinghy and then the giant monster comes out and the shark. And the famous line is, looks like we're going to need a bigger boat, right? So we need to have a really big boat to face the monsters. And, um, and one of the ways of doing it is, like, is appreciating, cultivating gratitude, all of these beautiful states that we're going to be practicing here in the next couple of days. We want to keep 
like building them and feeling and savoring them. So, um, so last night, <laughs> all sorts of strange things happen at Spirit Rock. Um, so last night, I went back to the rooms, and in the teacher village where we're staying, there are these, I guess they're swallows, maybe? Anyway, there are these birds, and they have some nests up above where the teachers are, are staying. And so I came, I, was, I came out there, and Ajahn Pesalo was like, Diana, come here. And I'm like, what? He goes, have you seen these birds? So it was dusk, and I walk out, and the birds are like going bananas, and they're like dive bombing into like into us i mean they didn't hit us or touch us but they were i mean they were protecting their nest but they were like zooming here and zooming there and zooming and we were laughing so hard because ajahn pesla was like scared of them but he was kind of laughing about it he's like they're gonna get me they're so we're like the demon birds they're attacking they're attacking and they're zooming this way and zooming then my daughter comes out and she's like she's we're like hysterical laughing because the birds have gone like They've gone batty, right? <laughs> Sorry, bad analogy. But um, in that moment, it was so funny and so weird. And this connection of having my daughter here at Spirit Rock in this land that I love with the monk, hiding and dodging the demon birds that didn't touch us or hurt us in any way. And I just stopped for a moment. I was like, yes, this. This is life. You know, this is what I want to remember. I want to savor and fill up my cup with because it's just joy. You know, it's, we need as much joy as we can find. So I want I to encourage you to just savor the joy. Experience it. And, and I think really last, the last point I'll make is simply that the more we work with the voices, the more we build up, I didn't talk so much about the cultivation of loving kindness, but that's, maybe we can not take that for granted. Kindness for ourselves. The more that we resource and fill ourselves up and do external actions that reflect this, the more we begin to touch into a place inside us that is a place of deep self-care. Right? There's the outer self-care, you know, that we are all familiar with, read a book about it, whatever. But there's like an inner self-care, a deep self-care that's about living from a place of quiet joy, of presence of a presence that knows that we're okay no matter what is happening and this presence is cultivated through our practice that we can sit in a place of our own deep deep well-being deep inner goodness deep care for ourselves because that is our nature that is who we are it is our birthright to be a place of love, a refuge for ourselves, no matter what is happening in this world. And there's a lot happening, right? And you can be that, and our practice supports it. So thanks for listening, and 
I want to offer a little practice now that we can do. And also maybe you might want to stretch your legs a little bit because um, we have about 15 more minutes. I think we have time to do it. Um, I'm just stretching. So I want to do a relational mindfulness practice because so much of what we're doing here is relational and um, that's that's our main way we're practicing, really, on this retreat. And so we're going to uh, have some questions that we'll be doing and we'll be doing them in something that's called a repeating question. So a repeating question is when I, someone asks me something, and um, Luigi, will you help me out for a minute? Here, just take this. Is it on? Yeah, it's on now. I think. I think mm-hmm. I got it. Um, mm-hmm. So in a minute, what, you'll get into partners and stuff, but you're going to ask, she's, they're going to ask me a question, and I'm going to respond just kind of checking in whatever comes out in the present moment and then they'll say thank you and then ask me the question again and we'll do it for like a couple minutes maybe like two three minutes and then we'll reverse and but anyway let's so watch this so ask me the question what gets in the way of self-care diana what gets in the way of self-care I've just talked about it a lot, <laughs> but there's, you know, so many things that I that I feel guilty. I have to do it right. Thank you. What gets in the way of self care? Um, sometimes when my daughter's needs seem really powerful, and I feel like I can't, you know, avoid them. Thank you. What gets in the way of self-care? You get the idea? Thank you. Um, so we'll, one of the reasons that we do a repeating question in that way is that the first answer is usually like a superficial answer. It's sort of, you know, whatever. But as we ask more deeply and then we can go inward, we start to discover new things. And what I didn't model, but you can also do is, what's happening inside me as I talk about it? Like... Oh, I'm starting to feel a little sad. I'm noticing there's heat in my chest. I'm noticing that my face is a little hot and I'm feeling a little frustration in my belly. Right? You can also narrate what's happening inside. So we're going to first ask the question to each other, what gets in the... And I'm gonna, we're going to do it in a very, very structured format. And I want to say also, if anybody wants to opt out, nobody's ever required to do that. So if you don't want to do this, I would say leave. Um, but we'll be, you'll be, we'll, we're going to be about 15. Oh, we only have 10 minutes. All right, we're going to do it fast. Can you find a partner? And my suggestion, maybe don't do it with your partner if you're here with someone because we'll just get to know someone new. So everybody find a partner. You can do it with your partner if you really want to, but it's up to you. So find a partner. Is there anybody who needs a partner? 
We're good? Oh. Okay, he's helping out. All right, so figure out who's going to go first. Doesn't matter, just pick somebody to go first. And that person is going to answer first. And we're going to just practice, just pause for a moment. So we're going to practice a couple of things. Mindful speaking and listening means if you're the listener, you're just giving really good attention. You're not interrupting, you're just asking that question and saying thank you. Um, You can notice your own body to help you stay present. Like every now and then you might notice your body on the floor or take a breath. And if your attention wanders away, bring it back to that person. And if you're speaking, speaking from the heart, just being authentic, you can also notice your body can slow down. Okay, so the question, the first question, we'll do it just for like a couple of minutes or even not even that long, like 90 seconds or two minutes. Um, what gets in the way of self-care? Right? So you're asking one person, and then I'll ring the bell, and we'll switch. All right? What gets in the way of self-care? Are you ready? Let's take a pause and begin. Okay, so just pause a minute. I know it was pretty short, and for some of you it was way too long. Um, And I know also if you run out of things to say, or you don't know what to say, just say, I don't know what to say. It's fine. And you also, by the way, you don't have to like stare deeply into their eyes or anything like that. Weird. This is just, this is just kind of fun and exploration. Don't take it too seriously. All right, so just pause, take a breath, notice how you're feeling. And then we're going to switch roles. What gets in the way of self-care for you? Again.
Okay, even if you're mid-sentence, we're just doing a short version, so just take a pause, take a breath. Close your eyes for a moment, maybe, and notice how you're feeling. Having, we're not done, so don't move away. Okay, so just noticing how that was to speak or listen in this way. And what I also didn't say is this is confidential, so please do not, you know, it stays in the room. And that way we can really be ourselves. We can speak with authenticity, with care. Okay, so now we're going to go back to the first person. And the question this time is, tell me a way you experience self-care. Or you practice self-care, if you prefer. Tell me a way you practice self-care. Okay, so back to the first person. Ready? Begin. Even if you're mid-sentence, just pause for a moment. Take a breath. You know, if you know stop, we practice stop. Take a breath. Observe. And then we'll proceed reversing the roles. Begin. Tell me a way you practice self-care.
Sorry to interrupt. Just pause for a moment. And we're going to have one last time. I know we're, we're going to go in it very shortly, but I want you to be able to debrief this. So use this last time to just share what that experience was like doing this or anything you want to say to the person or ask. And just I'll give you two minutes of unfettered, do whatever you want conversation. <laughs> okay, see you in two minutes. at this moment. <laughs> so um, you have to stop because I'm going to get in trouble if you don't go back and see, pick up your children. And normally, I would love to hear how it went, but let's just do a thumbs up, some sideways, some down. Like, how was that? Was that helpful, fun, enjoyable? Okay, it looks like in general. So we'll try to do more relational practices because I know people like them. And they're really, you can take this practice out. Like you can still practice relational mindfulness practices when you're here the rest of the time. So let's use these principles of this inward, outward focus, staying connected, noticing our body, bring it out with you. And otherwise it's been delightful and um, I will see you back there as a parent and up here as well. Okay, thanks everybody. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.